0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of Vince and Jason Save the Nation. I'm Vince Colonnese, along with my buddy Jason Nichols, breaking down all the big issues affecting the country and how we can fix them, hopefully. Uh, Jason, what do you have going on today?
1: Well, there's a lot going on, but particularly we're going to talk about spying and some of the things that have come out of the Trump administration uh, saying that they were spying on journalists and getting subpoenas Uh, to spy on members of Congress. Um, So I I guess I just wanna get your reaction as a journalist, number one, uh, to this. Of course, it's not limited. These kinds of activities aren't just limited to one administration, but this seems pretty egregious. And so I wanted to get your reaction to it.
0: Well, uh, let me first applaud you on the use of the word spying. I totally agree uh, with the term spying when it comes to surveilling someone without their knowledge. Uh, that, was, remember, that was a gigantic debate in the last administration, and uh, now I think, I think that is the right term. I think that's how you refer to something. Um, yeah, no, I think, one, when it comes to surveilling journalists, that, that there should be a spectacularly high bar for um, deciding to use the resources of government to uh, find out, you know, to look into their communications without their knowledge. And that actually goes for most Americans, actually not most, all Americans. That's, that's what we should have. But when it comes to journalists, the goal is like sometimes you have reporters who are gonna handle um, information that's been leaked to them in, in the public interest and then they will publish that information again in the public interest. If you're looking at who really broke the law there, it's the person who mishandled that classified information in the first place. If the government wants to go after them, they can and they have in the past. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, But sometimes people feel like that's okay that that they're willing to put um, their freedom on the line in order to get information out to the press. And they made that decision. Um, So, yeah, anytime I see that the the government is going after journalists, I'm concerned and I'd like to know more and get some clear answers. So, for instance, the Obama years were really clear. Lots of violations of going after journalists, uh, Fox News journalist James Rosen, for example, getting the phone records of the Associated Press broadly. um, There were a lot of abuses, I think, of the power that we vested in the government. And so we should all be more on guard for those abuses. Now, in the Trump years, we know for a fact that there were a lot of leaks coming out of the government that were betraying the confidence of the duly elected leadership of the United States. So remember, in the very first few days of the Trump administration, the contents of President Trump's phone calls with foreign leaders were being leaked out to the press instantaneously from the American side of the conversation. And that was, uh, again, that's an egregious violation of classified information. And it was happening um, by people within our government. And so it makes a lot of sense that the government would try to get to the bottom of that. And once they extend that reach though, to journalists, you would hope that there would be more barriers in place To stop that because what you want to do is is enable the free press as much as possible, not disable them, not um, handicap them. And so when you hear that like attorneys general Sessions and Barr and Rod Rosenstein, deputy attorney general, but essentially acting attorney general on the issues surrounding Trump and Russia, because remember, Jeff Sessions recused himself when all three of these guys say they didn't know anything about these subpoenas and are basically pleading ignorance when it comes to going after uh, what appears to be both journalists and members of Congress and their staffs, um, their family.
1: that let not, forget yeah, that,
0: family. that, yeah, that's right. I, I know in like, um, some of these cases, they say they, um, picked up family members. It's again, all of this is unclear why, for instance, were they concerned that, um, that these members of Congress or their staffs were using family members, communications devices in attempts to circumvent, um, uh, surveillance in light of the fact that they were sharing classified information. So did they pick up their their 10 year old's phone to send information, that kind of stuff? We don't actually know. We don't really know the answers to a lot of this stuff. But all my, all I'm saying about those three men, and I've talked enough, so I'll let you jump in here. But all about those three men is I, I don't believe them. I don't believe that, um, that the senior leadership of the Justice Department knew literally nothing about surveillance requests for members of Congress And journalists, that would be the kind of thing that should be put in front of them. And if it's and if it is it if it is something where they were completely ignorant, then somebody lower on the food chain was making a decision not to tell the senior officials in the Justice Department that such a important and dramatic thing was occurring. So when I see that the Justice Department is launching an IG investigation into all of this. That is the right approach. I I do think we need clear answers on this. And I'm willing to believe that every single one of these things is is totally justified, but you have to prove it.
1: So I I guess right now I want to play kind of the role of interviewer. And and that is, I have so many questions for you, particularly because you are a journalist. And, and I guess um, my first question is if you believe that uh, Rosenstein or Rod Rosenstein, sorry, Rosenstein Stein, Rosenstein. Yep. And, and um, Sessions and Barr were all in the know. How far up do you think this goes? Do you think it goes to the president?
0: No, I don't actually. And why, because...
1: why would it not go to the president when he was the one who was incensed about leaks and he spoke specifically about these members of Congress?
0: Because these cabinet members, to include Bill Barr, um, went out of their way to insulate Trump from detailed knowledge uh, and tried to avoid. Like, so Bill Barr was on guard for Trump trying to um, place undue pressure on the Justice Department to conduct investigations. And, so, and Trump, for his part, you know, I've interviewed Trump a lot, and I always got the impression that Trump actually stayed out of all of that like Trump would get grumpy he would get really grumpy that things weren't moving but he would never really he he wasn't um he never was he was he he was not placing clear pressure on people to launch and end investigations but he isn't just didn't that, do it
1: isn't that doesn't that contradict what's been coming out from Don McGann who's been saying that Trump pressured him to fire Mueller
0: Trump pressured him to fire Mueller yeah, I think that makes sense that Trump pressured Trump Trump was so
1: Trump, was Trump but what was
0: going on at the DOJ, correct? I get I mean, now that's I think that's a, no, that's a fair point. But that was a different category of, of point, I would say, because the Mueller investigation was predicated on something that Trump knew was a lie. Right. So Trump knew the whole thing was fictional and was just like, this is insane that I'm still going through this. Um, and so when he's placing pressure on people to basically get rid of Mueller and then they're not doing it, uh yeah, I, th- I think you can you can definitely talk about that. That makes sense. But I just I'm just saying that like when it comes to like Trump being this um, mastermind who's like quietly moving chess pieces around the board and in- getting investigations going and ending them and following the granular details, that was never Trump. Trump was never like that. Um, Trump was grumpy about things that the Justice Department were doing, and and by the way, with a lot of justification he was dealing with a deeply politicized Justice Department and the legacy of the one uh, coming from the prior administration. And so when I'm seeing this story develop now, Jason, this particular story, and I'm seeing um, concern from the left that the Justice Department has been politicized, um, I'm a kind of in, in a weird way, I'm kind of grateful for it because I want a bipartisan consensus to root out corruption in the justice department. And we haven't had it over the last four years. And, and now I'm hoping that it can lead to something productive.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I guess my, my next question, I, I think in terms of politicizing the justice department, I think uh, pressuring Don McGahn to fire Mueller and also um, his attacks on Jeff Sessions, who you know, I'll never defend Jeff Sessions ever in life, but his attacks on Jeff Sessions for what seems like he had a a justified reason to recuse himself, basically he was politicizing further the Justice Department saying, this is, you are my employee and therefore you are supposed to protect me rather than let things go. And that cost Jeff Sessions his career. Um, so I think it's already been political, but my question for you, um, is one that's not necessarily directly related to Trump, but with this, uh, what you said about classified information and that protected is what is your opinion on Julian Assange?
0: On Julian Assange,
1: I guess it comes down to whether or not
0: you consider him a journalist. Um, he was handling information that was leaked to him, which is not really different than what the New York times does. So I think it's reasonable to have a conversation around, uh, whether or not he was performing acts of journalism. Um, what about you?
1: You know, it's been something I've gone back and forth on, but, um, I'd say I'm more, I'm more with him than against him. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are rumors, of course, that he was, um, that he had partisan interests. I don't necessarily know that that's true. But there, there's, of course, that kind of whisper that he had some sort of interest in order to um, affect certain outcomes. I mean, he identifies as a libertarian. So he's not, it's not like he's a Republican or a Democrat and he's Australian, I believe. Um, but, um, as far as some of the things that he and WikiLeaks exposed Mm -hmm. were really important, you know, um, particularly with, with regard to the Iraq war and, and Afghanistan, those are really important things. And I don't think, I I do agree with you that, um, I, I think it comes down to whether, whether he is a journalist or an activist. Um, and I think that, a lot of times, like I tell people, I'm not a journalist. You know what I mean. I have I have a partisan view, not necessarily partisan, but certainly I have a world view mm-hmm. uh, that I espouse. And you know, I, I, I'm willing to call out Democrats if you haven't noticed. You know, I'm willing to call them out when they're wrong. If we want to talk about, um, certainly, I don't know if it was direct misconduct in the way that I that I believe. This Trump situation is. And I believe Trump is not this master chessboard person. I think you're absolutely correct about that. I don't think he's that type of a thinker. And I don't think he had that kind of knowledge of institutions. Um, I don't think he's, a, you know, he's been shown not to be a reader. You know, he doesn't like read things or anything like that. But one thing he does do is give me the summary and I'll give you a decision. Right. Um, and I think that. He was more in the know. He wanted very much loyalists in uh, all of his, uh, you know, and all the elements of government and, and within.
0: He, but he wasn't prior- very good. He just wasn't very good at getting that, though. That's the thing. It's like if if there was evidence, for instance, like so, so to your theory that maybe Trump knew about um, pursuing these guys via capturing their phone records or capturing records of their communications. If he really did know that, like we would know that by now. And in fact, the reason we would know that would be one of two reasons. Either Trump would have told us himself because he would have tweeted something to that effect. Trump was like, Trump was an oversharer. It's actually one of the things I like about him. I just mean as a generic sense, like I like, I like that the person who's elected into office is like sharing with us uh, on a frequent basis what he's actually thinking about things. Um, it's a really rare quality that almost no politician actually does. Uh, but he did. And whether, you, you know, love him or hate him. And this is not that's not an assessment I'm making um, from the right or the left. I actually think just for for a good, you know, for good civic engagement, it's kind of neat to know what the person who's in charge is thinking. The other side is that he was never um, tremendously talented at all. The, his His biggest weakness was hiring. So he would routinely hire people who were either served some other interest, unfortunately, or. There were plenty of people within the government who were so against him that they were leaking all the particulars, especially anything that made him look bad. So like this particular thing, could you imagine this particular thing was kept under wraps? Like if Trump was personally involved with it, like there's no way. It's actually impossible. So
1: yeah, I'm sorry. Go
0: ahead. Just given what we've seen. I mean, like history is really clear about everyone around him and the extent to which things were leaking like if Trump was like legitimately involved in a conversation like the one you're suggesting, potentially, uh, I just don't think it would be a secret. I think we would know about it.
1: So I, I think Trump is, is um, he's good at hiring. I, I do actually think that's true because his loyalists aren't institutionalists. They are loyal to Donald Trump. It's different than working for Obama where you are generally a left wing, you know, left of center, maybe even center type of person. You're not necessarily loyal to Obama. I don't know anybody who was like super like I'm with this Obama movement. Once he got elected, you know what I mean? I think there was the Obama movement and people were excited about the, the prospect and the idea of something new and hope and change but I don't think that there were Obama loyalists in the way that there were Trump loyalists. I don't, I don't think there were Bush loyalists, more so. I think there were more so Bush loyalists, but I don't think there were Bush loyalists in the way that there are Trump loyalists. And I am... Um, your, your first point, just just let me... Yeah. Uh, like you would say... Okay, go ahead. Um, I do agree that um, with something you said earlier, when you were saying that um, they tried to insulate him from some of these things and I think that some of the loyalists, uh, the people there who were who really believed in whatever Trump they thought Trump stood for, they really wanted to insulate him from harm and they realized that he did not, you could argue he didn't have the institutional knowledge or he just didn't give a F um, and you know didn't really wasn't really concerned with, Uh, norms and laws and, you know, all those kinds of things, and just wanted things done in a way that he thought was good and efficient. Um, So I think that with that, the one argument that I could see is, you know, maybe he didn't have direct knowledge because there were certain things. uh, We all know that there were people in his circle that didn't tell him you know, certain things because they were like, he's going to go nuclear and he's going to do something illegal. That's going to put his presidency in danger, you know? Um, and, and that happened on a couple of occasions where, you know, they actually did not communicate something to the president of the United States. Well, they're, um, yeah, ahead.
0: Ahead. I know. I think you're, I, I, I think you're right with the exception of the idea of like the illegality part. I mean, there's a lot that the president can actually do that yeah, people true. don't like that they can, do or that the president can get away with that nobody else in the federal government can get away with. For instance, the president can declassify anything he wants on the spot uh, and, and tell the public about it. And that's that's it. That's the end of it. Um, right. But when it comes to Trump, you know, the thing I would like you would often see is that you'd have government officials who like kind of there was a range right in the Trump administration. There were people who outright hated him who were working against his agenda. There were people who liked his agenda, but thought that he was going about it the wrong way that, you know, that he was kind of a bull in a China shop, and they wanted to see him pace himself. And this is the way it should be done. This is the protocol. And, and Trump just was a guy who just kind of blew all of that up. That's for sure. And when I said before, like, I think his weakness was hiring, I I do think that I mean, you wouldn't be in a situation where he hires a Jeff Sessions, and Jeff Sessions recuses himself, and then Trump regrets it. That wouldn't happen if if uh, Trump had been better about his hiring practices at the outset. And there are a number of people spectacular. John Bolton, think about like the disastrous relationship he had with him and how that ended. Those things wouldn't have happened. Um, if he had a skill, if that skill was better, the skill that was great, the one that, that got him elected is his gut instincts. He's good at sort of having a gut instinct about the way, um, the way Americans are feeling, definitely. He's like very good at reading a room. About and-
1: some Americans. Let's not talk about like Americans are feeling as if he knew he had his hand on the pulse of the country. He I, had his hand on the pulse of a vocal minority of the country. I um, mean,
0: it's not a minority position to be grumpy about trade and China, I, I don't think. I think that's a majority position. Uh, being concerned about immigration and illegal immigration in particular is a majority position.
1: Uh, I think the, the ways in which... Uh, you know this this idea like what he didn't know the word moratorium so he said a complete and total shutdown of Muslims entering the country I don't think that was a majority position you know what I mean I, I just don't think that I think you know again we don't have to go through and litigate every single element of it but yeah. like family separation was not a majority pos- position I, I just don't believe that the majority of Americans were with that I think a vocal minority and now you've got of course this isn't Donald but you know some of the statements that were made, you know, on Fox by by Lara, Lara Trump, Lara, 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 Lara Trump. I don't think that's a majority position. I'm not saying she speaks for Donald. Let me just be clear, but her saying that Americans need to arm up and go to the border and take things into their own hands—that's not a majority position on how to fix immigration. Um, so she I, sa-
0: is that what she said? I thought I thought she said something to the effect of if if uh, law enforcement collapses in their in the border communities it would be left to Americans to take things into their own hands by being gun owners no is that what she
1: that's not that's did she say go that, to the border you know uh, go to the, go to the border arm up and take things into their own hands um, which again law enforcement is not going to collapse I, I have personally maybe it's just me I have confidence in law enforcement and border patrol personally. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, and particularly if they're given the tools to succeed, like the technology um, for border security, up-to-date technology. Uh, I I have 100% confidence in in law enforcement, you know, uh, there. Um, If they're, you know, like anything, it needs to be regulated, needs to be fair, and they are law enforcement. They're not lawmakers. You know, I don't always have confidence in lawmakers.
0: So this is the here's the quote that that I'm reading from Business Insider. They they wrote down the quote quote I don't know what you tell the people who live at the southern border," she said. "I guess they better arm up and get guns and be ready, and maybe they're going to have to start taking matters into their own, own hands." That's the that's the quote that they pulled. I don't have the the full audio in front of me, but um, uh, I I don't I without watching the the segment I don't mean, know what she was making other than this interrupt. other than this. Okay, I just think I, it's it's totally. Be, it's totally fair to think that if Americans are seeing lawlessness around them, or then they would purchase guns for the defense of themselves and their family. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. That, that's not a controversial opinion at all. Or um, it be?
1: So first of all, let, let me just be clear. And, and again, I, I usually don't defend Donald Trump. Don't expect it very often. But that was not Donald Trump. That was L- Lara Trump. Right. I'm assuming speaking for Lara Trump. And we were mostly speaking about Donald uh, when he was president of the United States. Which he is no right. longer. Um, but as far as um, what she said, what is lawlessness? Is crossing a border lawless? That that's what we have to debate. Do I need a gun because some guy's walking across a border? You know, I I, I don't know that I necessarily think that. I think people by that region of the country have guns anyway. But. You know, the people that I know that that live, you know, in deep South Texas, I have friends in deep South Texas. Mm, Yeah. And they have guns anyway. Yes. And they're, you know, so it's not like, and they're not going around patrolling, you know. And again, a lot of we know uh, there's a lot of migration on both sides of the border. People go to and fro in order to work. I think that, um, you know, I just think that those kinds of comments are dangerous when we put it in context for example, a name that everyone needs to know, I believe, you know, we know the Ayana Stanley Joneses, or at least you should. Uh, we know the Tamir Rices, or at least you should. We should know Brisenia Flores, you know, and her father Raul, who were shot by Minutemen. You know, she was nine years old. I think this is the kind of talk that stirs that up. It's not necessarily direct, but it stirs that kind of you know, anxiety in America. I don't think that's a majority uh, opinion as it stands. But if you get Americans worked up and afraid, again, one of the big problems, I think on the left and right, and this is is something that, you know, I think inadvertently what we're doing here on Save the Nation is lowering the temperature just by not peddling fear all the time. And, and you know, I I have, if you want to get a gun, Because you like guns, get a gun. I I know, you know, I'm cool with that. I'm not gonna tell you whether I have one or not, but I'll tell you, you know, um, you know, I certainly am pro 2A uh, with certain regulations and limits. But, you know, at the same time, we should not have Americans feeling like, number one, their direct neighbors are their enemies based on their political party, which I think is absolutely uh, insane. Um, when they haven't necessarily, you know, I think it, it, it becomes, it becomes truthful when people have been worked up, you know what I mean? And this is where I have a problem with all of these networks, particularly ones on the right, I'm gonna be honest with you, with stirring up fears, based on people and particularly based on their appearance based on where they come from. I think that that is really really dangerous so i think those comments we cannot try and explain them away vince we really can't because i think that that literally can be dangerous and claim lives particularly when you have someone who is as influential as lara trump we should condemn those comments unequivocally because they will stir up fear and then some american who would be sitting at their home you know watching vince and jason save the nation on yeah. YouTube, instead is out with a gun thinking somebody's going to harm their family.
0: Okay, let me, uh, just a couple of things to, to respond, because as always, you've got me thinking about a lot. So one, did you did you watch the segment in question with Laura Trump?
1: I did not watch the segment. No, I don't watch okay. Janine Pirro. No,
0: okay. No. <laughs> so all I would suggest is that we slam the brakes before we decide we're going to issue our first official, Vincent Jason, Save the nation condemnation of anybody on the basis of having not seen the segment. So, like, let's we should at least watch it first, and then we could come up with a committee decision on this, um, or or at least you could condemn their condemn her. Then the other I will the continue. other thing. Okay, there you go. And then so the other thing is, I agree with a, a general premise that you just laid out, which is that we shouldn't misrepresent the status of problems because people may respond to them in aggressive ways. Is that a, is that a good summation of what you said? Yeah, sure. OK, and I, and I think that's true um, across the board. I think that there's a tendency in politics, and I, we've discussed it before, to overstate your case and to speak in extremes um, when when a moderate assessment or just a, let's forget moderate, I don't want to give it an intensity, a realistic assessment would do. Um, there is no question it's, I don't I don't think there's really a meaningful debate on this subject. The southern border is completely out of control right now. And with that comes a lot of bad things for the people who are crossing the border and the people who live in the United States. And we are seeing practically zero courage in Washington right now to address it. And, and some, and this is measurable. Um, law enforcement is so overstretched right now that the Border Patrol can't actually respond to all of its needs on the southern border. So the end result is that a lot of these border communities are dispatching their own law enforcement to work as in as a joint agency effort to help the border patrol um, do these jobs. And they don't even have the funding to support the amount of work they're doing right now to support the border patrol. A lot of the people who are crossing the border right now um, are staying in the United States. They're being released. Contra what um, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris said last week when she was in Guatemala she says she suggested don't come don't come you're not getting in that's just not true it doesn't square with reality in fact over 60 percent of the so-called family units that are coming I say so-called because it's, it's difficult to establish whether or not they're family units but let's assume even for the good sake of, of good faith argument that they are over 60 percent are staying in the United States being released into the interior of the United States after they cross so the message from the the, the message that Central America is receiving and importantly the coyotes or the coyotes mm-hmm. are receiving, is that the American border is fairly open. And in fact, it's so sufficiently open that there's a, there's a very energetic business that's enriching the cartels in order to get people across the border. And then in terms of the numbers, in the first five months of this year, there have already been more recorded border crossings than any other five-month period in recorded history on our southern border, in any other five-month period in recorded history. Um, that's a tremendous amount of people and not only people, but drugs, over 84,000 people killed last year due to the opioid over opioid crisis, the opioids that have already crossed our border this year, the ones that have been interdicted and and intercepted on the border already out quantify the entirety of the opioids that were intercepted last intercepted last year. Um, we've got, I, I would say a substantial real and totally worth addressing problem that is leading uh, people to be very concerned. And I I wanna finish here, which is on the problems for the actual migrants who are crossing from Central America. The barbaric conditions in which they find themselves in that journey um, continue, they're unrelenting because they're being handled in many cases by the cartels. And um, we still have incident after incident anecdotal of young girls who are being given birth control in order to take the journey because of the high incidence of sexual assault that happens on that journey. Um, These are, this this is in no way a sensible system and one that's totally, totally deserves, um, I think, a a decent amount of outrage and definitely a public policy response that we're not seeing.
1: Yeah, and I think we're going to find very much agreement there that we need some sort of some sort of policy uh, on immigration. And I think both parties have agreed on that for you know, the last decade, uh, maybe more, that we need a comprehensive immigration reform. I mean, it's almost cliche now to say the words comprehensive immigration reform. Um, the question is what that looks like. and where we are gonna spend our resources and how we're actually gonna do that. Um, I, again, number one, what we're seeing now is unprecedented because so much in our society is unprecedented after a year of COVID-19. So a lot of this is backlogged. And we, we discussed this in another episode of uh, Vince and Jason Save the Nation. So if you're watching this, Ah, uh, go back and watch some of our our uh, conversation on Kamala Harris and on immigration. Um, so I, I definitely think that you know this is uh, uh, an issue that needs to be addressed. The way you address it in the in the long term or short term is not by arming up and taking matters into your own hands. Uh, yes, law enforcement is stretched. But they are apprehending people because number one, uh, some, a fact that most people don't understand is they don't come, most people don't come through these remote areas at the border. The reason they're apprehending record numbers of people is because they come through legal ports of entry and many of them try to claim asylum, oftentimes falsely. You know what I mean? It, it, you know, we already talked about it. you can't claim asylum because there are shootings in your neighborhood. Like there have to be Or you can't claim asylum because you're out of work. And that's why a lot of people come over. And the question is, you know, how do we stop this? How do we, you know, lower the number of shootings in your neighborhood? How do we lower uh, the, the number of people who are going hungry in certain parts of the world and lower the number of hurricanes that are destroying Guatemala? How do we actually do that? Um, I think that should be part of an immigration reform plan. And that doesn't happen at the southern border. That happens at the source. Um, But again, this is why I say that uh, our approach to it needs to be comprehensive. But this idea that you going with your 12 gauge or you going with your AR-15 is helping anything, it's not. It's really not. And what you're going to do is put yourself and others in danger you know, when, when you do that and maybe even make it harder for law enforcement. You know, so um, I think one of the things that happened out of the last administration because of some of the talk, I can tell you, and this is honest to goodness um, experiences that I have, have had with students. Um, I've had students who wanted to come in uh, or, or came into school and wanted to join federal law enforcement, not local law enforcement, federal law enforcement. So don't blame this on Black Lives Matter. You know, you're full of crap, but uh, not you. I mean, people out there who are, who are listening because I'm sure there's somebody in the kind of BLM, you know, um, who wanted to join federal law enforcement. But when they thought whether, you, whether it's real or imagined, I would say much of it is real, but when they start to get the perception, I would go back and be like, hey, I know somebody at, at DOD. I know somebody, you know, maybe we can help you get an internship, you know, mm-hmm. because that's, that's literally what I do is I try to help my students in their professional pursuits. And a lot of them now, you know, this isn't a huge number, but the ones who have been interested in law enforcement have come back and be like, nah, I'm, I'm not interested in ripping people's families apart. I'm not interested in, you know, some of the things that they think go on with ICE and CBP and some of the agencies that we, um, and even FBI, uh, that we associate with immigration and with other forms of law, federal law enforcement. Um, they don't think that they'll be helping. They think they'll be hurting people and, and stripping their humanity. Now, I'm not saying that's real or imagined. That's not my point. My point is some of the talk and the, the transparency that you just lauded from Trump actually made it harder for law enforcement to recruit people. You know, that's why CBP is stretched right now, because you know, a lot of young people that I know who literally come to the University of Maryland because they're like it's close to DC. I'll have you know an opportunity to do law to do uh, internships and, and all these kinds of things, they come in. And, you know, and they're bright eyed and, they're and bushy tailed, but they start watching the news and reading the newspaper and, you know, looking on Twitter and seeing what the president of the United States is saying. And they don't think that they're actually helping. People think law enforcement actually helps people. And they, they come away, you know, of course, you know, ICE, their, their mandate is like transnational gangs, uh, you know, child pornography, cyber crimes. They do a lot of things. People, but in the uh, public imagination, because of what has happened and the way they've been spoken about, uh, I would say on the left, but also largely on the right, it's been about, you know, taking the El Otero man, you know, away from his stand. And I think that that is what hurts and stretches law enforcement. That's why these guys are working long hours and and being um, are are in the position that they're in right now, and it's going to be a long time before I think we can actually help that. Because I've actually tried to get kids to talk to people I know in federal law enforcement, and a lot yeah. of times they're like, "No, nah, I'm not interested in that. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do something else."
0: That's terrible. So, as you were explaining all that, I I I don't think. I mean, I, you can I guess you can try and bring Trump into it. Honestly. I think it's it was the left's reaction to Trump that has caused the um, absolute plummet in morale and standing for police officers nationwide. Um, you know, I think, you know, I I think BLM is is actually a part of the cast of characters that have completely diminished um, the standing of police over the course of the past year. And I know got I know there's got to be people who are part of who consider themselves a part of a Black Lives Matter movement. Or broadly outside of BLM, whatever, who have a, a part of the long sort of criminal justice reform movement, who have nuanced views about cops, who who have who are who have generous views about police officers, who want to fix problems in policing, and I think that makes a lot of sense. What doesn't make sense is when Nancy Pelosi is calling uh, federal law enforcement stormtroopers, and you know we see sort of blanket denunci- denunciations of, of cops as like tools of white supremacy or suggesting that cops are, are leading genocides against people on the basis of their skin color. Um, I, I think that what, what ended up happening, especially since the death of George Floyd, is that the reputation of being a civil servant, in particular a police officer, in America has plummeted so low that you have people who are currently on the force who are so defeated in terms of morale that they're retiring early, even before they qualify for retirement and the ability for these agencies kind of, as you are pointing out, as you deal with these students um, to recruit and to bring in new people are diminishing and especially good people, the kind of people who do care a tremendous amount about virtue and about doing something honorable. They get very concerned that the profession itself that they're about to enter is a dishonorable one because the profession has been misrepresented by The major institutions in our country who have allowed those misrepresentations to fester. Uh, I think that's a terrible thing. And it gets right to the point you just made a moment ago, which is that, like, when you start um, mischaracterizing events, then you get deeply destructive reactions. And that's one of them, I think. I think that the standing, the plummeting standing of our law enforcement nationwide, which is completely out of scale with whatever sins law enforcement officers may have committed anywhere in the country and have committed anywhere in the country um, is is such a disservice to the country because now you're seeing the real effects of that, I think too, as we're seeing a, a meaningful rise in violent crime and a, and a time when we desperately need good law enforcement to respond to it.
1: Again, I, I think you're, you're, this is, hmm, I, I would say that it's a little bit of a straw man because I'm talking about federal law enforcement. And I think local law enforcement was a different issue, you know, um, and, and I would agree that some of the actions of law enforcement uh, and I, and I think that there are nuanced views from people uh, on law enforcement, you know, local law enforcement. Um, I, I also think that, and you know, I have, you know, as someone who who has studied martial arts, like so many of of the people that I work out with, spar with, or used to. Now that I'm now I'm fat, and, you know, I go <laughs> my lawn. That's my exercise. Nah, man. You know, uh, when I used to, you know, do martial arts, you know, the guys I would spar with, they were almost always. That's how I had all these connections in law enforcement. Sure, how I knew all these guys. Was you know they were all you know uh diplomatic security and DOD and VA and you know FBI wow. you know so you know and we had our little you know martial arts community and I was the one you know the one liberal <laughs> you know academic uh <laughs> in the circle but you know a lot of those guys you know their views also on black lives matter and all of that were also very nuanced um, right, and you know, the, there were local cops in there too, by the way. You know, and the local cops and, and corrections officers, um, a lot, it was a big law enforcement community, um, in there. And a lot of the, the law enforcement guys, you know, they were welcoming, not all of them, but I would say a, a lot, I would say the vast majority were welcoming to, um, some regulation on what they do um, and, right. and really, really wanted to regain the trust of the communities that they were involved with. Now, again, yeah. that's easy, easy enough for an FBI agent to say, you know, um, which I, I think when we talk about race and policing, FBI should probably have the worst reputation, you know, worse maybe than, than local law enforcement uh, when we look at it historically. But, at present, you know, a lot of those guys were like, look, you know, this was, you know, and they, and they would take each case, case by case, you know, the, the ones that were popularized and look at it and say, you know, all right, well, that, that could have been done differently. I, I right. think that, that, was, that was a poor decision on, on the police officer's fault. You know, they were either poorly trained or, you know, they uh, are guilty of some sort of, you know, malfeasance. Uh, And they were very, very honest about it. Or, and there were some cases where they'd be like, nah, that was, that was, you know, that was the way it was. Like, it, you know, it wouldn't have turned out any other way. Um, That's the way they're trained. Um, And it's funny because only people I I remember hearing after George Floyd who defended uh, Chauvin's actions Mm -hmm. were right-wing pundits. I never heard any law enforcement people defend that. Not right. one. And I talked to a bunch. I was making a, you know, I was making a ton of phone calls. Not one said, you know, no, nah, that was. And, they, and these are guys that I, you know, that I had honest conversations with. And some of these guys, some people, like my good friend. Shout out to my good friend Jeff, who's not law enforcement but trains cops. That's like what he does, um, in in our in our martial art. You know, I, I don't know any of them who were saying, you know, that was okay. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about federal law enforcement, you know, and we, and again, I think some of this even hurts local law enforcement when you have the president of the United States tweeting when the looting starts, starts shooting starts and all these kinds of things, doesn't help. But when we're talking federal law enforcement and family separation and, you know, all those kinds of things, People don't want to be a part of that. And some of these guys, I'll be like, look, you know, I know a guy in VA, you won't do any of that. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be involved in any of that. But the reputation became so poor, and it was not BLM. You know what I mean? Like, BLM, these, these are college students and college graduates who understand the difference between federal and local law enforcement. Yeah. And, and they were seeing that and saying, I want no part of that Element of the of the administrative state, but again, going go coming full circle um, with some of what's been going on. I think that a lot of the, I think that it is good that a president has, you know, is forthcoming and says what's on his mind. And I think that was in some ways to the benefit of the right and the left and things actually right. to attack him on. There were times that I'm glad I knew what Trump was thinking, you know, yes. because I'm like, wow, I really don't like this guy. You know what I mean? Like really, you know what I mean? Like I might, you know, with Biden, I don't know what's on Biden's mind. So I'm like, eh, whatever. You know, Obama, you didn't know what was on Obama's mind all the time. So it was like, eh.
0: It took forever to get out of his mouth when he was trying to tell you too. The gosh, yeah, that guy I took mean, forever I, to speak.
1: I do a lot of the uhs and urs, so I, I get that. Um, but Trump, you knew exactly what he was thinking.
0: Of course, and yeah.
1: That to me, in some ways, was a benefit because I was like, I really don't like this guy. Now I know I don't. I don't you know,
0: confirmed feelings. Yeah. Confirmed.
1: It, it's it's constantly confirmed. Uh huh. Um, but the danger of that is how he was able to govern from his Twitter account, because sometimes he didn't need to go and have a conversation, a direct conversation with people in his administration. He tweeted something and they were like, got it. You know what I mean? And then actions would occur. Um, I also think that, you know, with Trump and, you know, the fact that he was kind of mercurial, you know, um, I think that that's, that's a dangerous quality to have in a president. You, you gotta have a steady hand. And um, I think that that was dangerous, but you know, the other thing is we know, particularly when we're looking at, you know, um, this, this election lie, we know that Trump is, is not willing to, to always be forthcoming and tell the truth or accept the truth. And so that's another thing that gets really um, dangerous, and that's why when he denies, uh, he hasn't denied it, I don't believe. I don't believe he's commented on it, but these subpoenas, you know, whether he had any kind of involvement in like Swalwell and Shift. And again, he tweeted about Swalwell and Shift. So mm-hmm. I don't think he, he necessarily needed to go and call someone on the phone so much as you see who I'm, you know, there, there was some governing where you didn't necessarily have to do things directly. Just like with the whole, you know, you know Russia, if you're listening type of deal. Uh, I don't think he necessarily needed to, to make those statements when he's making them publicly, like you said, and he's making his feelings known I think there were people who took that as direction for his, you know, for his administration. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see whether he's actually responsible. You know, um, hopefully this will come out. But the one thing that I will say, and I can say confidently, is if he is responsible, he won't be held responsible. That we know. And, you know, uh, there there will be no consequences for Donald Trump.
0: Well, I, I guess it matters. You know, so what we're talking about is we're taking this back to the beginning of the conversation. We're asking whether or not he directed the Justice Department to conduct an investigation into the personal that involves wrapping up the personal communications of journalists and or lawmakers and their staffs. Right. And their families. Right. right. right? Okay. So one, if if in order for him to be held held responsible, something in there would have to be illegal. We'd have to establish that something illegal actually occurred because. As a matter of policy right now, we hold that the president should avoid uh, tilting the balance within the Justice Department. The president can can definitely any president could definitely direct an investigation or end an investigation by the Justice Department if they wanted to. That's the prerogative of the chief executive. They could do that. By and large, we tell them to avoid that because we want them to maintain as much independence from the Justice Department as possible. But again, it is the executive branch and he is in charge. I mean, this is why you know, you'll get like in the wake of like a mass shooting or something, a president will come out. I've instructed the Justice Department to begin an investigation into yada, yada, yada. That's because that's entirely his prerogative. And he could end that, too, if he wanted to. So this whole like, you know, held responsible thing, it would have to be he would have to have done something illegal
1: for well, him yeah, to be held. You know, uh, the thing that's been happening and and has been in, co- in conversation is, of course, Richard Nixon and his enemies list. Mm hmm. You know, it's not illegal to have an enemies list and want to screw your enemies as president. But it certainly was something that he was held responsible for because you don't go after members of Congress that way.
0: Well, that's why they hurtled. That's why they hurtled towards an impeachment that he avoided by resigning.
1: Right, exactly. That's the point is that he was held, you know, uh, accountable and responsible. He would have to, of course, because he is not currently uh, president (laughs) of the United States. Uh, he would have to have committed a crime to be held criminally responsible. Yes, yes. Um, Unless
0: we can impeach him again, you know? If we can figure out a way to get another impeachment going, <laughs> that yeah, would no, probably help I'm, the country. i will put on
1: impeachments for now. <laughs> um, you know, we'll we'll see. Although the question, I don't know if this is a constitutional question, you know, let's say that he did do something wrong during his first, during this last term. Uh-huh. Usually, we think of terms. Uh, do we think of terms as independent of, of one another? Usually, terms run eight consecutive years. Uh, I don't. You know, we've never had a president who went four years and then came back. You know, unless I'm forgetting something from U.S. history, that's never happened. Um, so, with that, if you had done something and then won in your first term. In, in eight consecutive mm-hmm. years, you had done something in sure. your first term, at the end of your first term, well, you couldn't be held yeah. responsible in your second term. Correct?
0: Yeah. I, I think you would have to, play. so this is this is all super novel constitutional theory, because again, this is the kind of thing that was engaged in Trump's second impeachment. So when they impeached Trump and then they moved to the Senate trial, the Senate trial remember didn't occur until after he was out of office. And the, and the argument from Trump's lawyers among many, was that this isn't even really a constitutional thing that's going on here because um, impeachment itself is designed for somebody who currently holds office. That is a moot point here. This person is gone. So the idea that you would um, continue an impeachment proceeding against him um, is unconstitutional. So here's the thing we will never have an answer to this unless it goes before the United States Supreme Court. So theoretically, because if so, if he takes, if he does win a second term, and he's in office, and the left wants to go after him again and impeach him, or anybody for that matter. But I'm just saying the left here, because that's typically where it comes from. Um, I For something he did in his first term, I'm pretty sure they could do that. I'm pretty sure they could do that. Like, whoa, these new revelations, last time you held power to this, so therefore, we can impeach you because the Constitution says, you know, while you're in office, I presume. And then what would have to happen is Trump would have to um, litigate this before the Supreme Court, ultimately, that would be then they'd they'd have to render the final d- decision on something like that. Uh, yeah. But gosh, it's it's totally novel. I mean, what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I sure hope that. Uh, well, I, I think the way to avoid this is for Trump not to get elected president.
0: <laughs> you, know? you wouldn't want that, okay? All I, right, I just establish. So you
1: know, I mean, get you know, try somebody new. Let's do something new. <laughs> get, bring up Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott. Honestly, you know. If he were to win, which I think he has no shot, um, but if he were to win the Republican uh, nomination, there could be worse than I, I, I'm not a fan of Tim Scott. I think that's pretty clear. We talked about that, I think in one of our, maybe that wasn't one of the episodes that got uh, posted, but I'm not a fan of Tim Scott, but I'm not also a huge detractor. There are lots of Republicans that I would not wanna see.
0: Uh, yeah, huh?
1: and Tim Scott. I can live with Tim Scott, to be honest. A Tim Scott presidency, I I would not, you know, shed tears every day of my life for. But I,
0: I think we've found our podcast title. The one Republican Jason Nichols Could Live With as President. That's the that's
1: <laughs> No, I mean, um, you know, the uh, what is it? Uh Kinzinger. The, there's a couple of Republicans out there that I respect and, and that I that I think are are decent you know, um, politicians that aren't obsequious to one man. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think if you are not an obsequious bootlicker to one particular person or interest, I respect you on the left and right. And I think that there are people who are on the left who I think, you know, just vote party line and don't necessarily look at things criti- critically. And, right. you know, I, I've, I've made comments about them as well. Um, well so I've out of office now and I don't want to see him come back so
0: yeah as we wind down here just because just we have to uh um I do want to mention so so boot Trump bootlicking um I would offer this caveat that first of all there are cults of personality throughout American politics that's for sure and um they're all gross wherever they uh whatever they transpire earlier in the in the show you mentioned that you didn't see many people who were like so-called Obama loyalists I, that's not what I saw at all I saw a lot of I saw a tremendous amount of uh, cult worship of Obama, uh, especially within his own administration. It was it got a little um, pornographic at times. But that being said, I don't want to confuse politician worship by other politicians with being deferential to that politician's base. So if a Republican comes out and is saying things that are that are consistent with what Trump voters care about, that is not. Um, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything meaningfully wrong with that. I think that's that the, the right thing to be paying attention to what, what Trump's voters care about because, um, they make up a huge percentage of the country and it really does matter what they think.
1: So I, I think, um, it is dangerous when you're willing to deny the truth or when you start getting into some of these, uh, conspiracy theories that we've seen where Trump is some sort of messianic theory, uh, messianic uh, character. <laughs> uh-huh. and,
0: and
1: I, I think that that, actually- But who's
0: doing that. I mean, what, who like, who's doing there, the Trump's, the Messiah, like, is there an elected official that's really doing the Trump's the Messiah routine?
1: Uh, well, I think there, there are a lot, you know, who are without necessarily saying Trump is the Messiah that are giving the old wink, wink to the QAnon people. And I think that that's kind of dangerous or not kind of, it is dangerous. And I think, um, I think when it seems like you, you don't have your own brain or your own spine and you're going, you're willing to literally lie to the people or, or mischaracterize things like Ron Johnson has done or like Paul Gosar, who's a weirdo. Like, like those dudes, like, I think that that's really problematic. There are people out there who agree with Trump and, but are willing to disagree with Trump at certain times. Right. I mean, yes. Liz Cheney was somebody who I'm not a huge fan of, but voted with Trump 98% of the time, <laughs> literally mm-hmm. 98% of the time. Um, but she disagreed with him in one area and then literally caught the wrath, but stuck by her guns and said, look, this is the truth. And you know, I can respect that even though I don't necessarily like Liz Cheney. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of obsequiousness and, and bootlicking is the people who literally their brain is Trump. You know what I mean? Like they, because, and I think part of it is that they are afraid of Trump's base. They're a hundred percent afraid. They're hundred percent afraid of the guy. Who, I forgot his name. The guy who was literally barricading the door says, Oh no, it was like a regular tourist visit. You know what I mean? Um, that I can't respect. Like I don't even think, to be honest with you, and I've talked to people who've talked to Trump, and honestly, I don't even think Trump respects that. He likes it, but I don't know that he respects it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I when think,
0: people suck you know, up, when people suck I up to him. You mean?
1: Yeah, re- really quickly, one of the things that I heard that Trump likes and likes about Tim Scott, as a matter of fact, is that Tim Scott stands up to him in meetings, allegedly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Trump likes that. He doesn't like people who are weak and soft. Right. He's, a, he's a classic kind of bully type. He doesn't like weakness. And- no, he's
0: an alpha. That's what I mean, he's got an alpha personality. I mean, you don't have to like him and, and you can think alpha is like a, a nice term. If you, don't, if you don't like him, you probably don't want to say that, but that's true. I mean, that <laughs> is his personality and he can smell it on other people too. So um, if someone, I've always thought that the approach to Trump, if you disagree with him, if, you, if you're on his side, but you disagree with him, the key with him is to convey that to him and be like, hey, I see where you're going, I see what your end goal is, but I actually think that we should get there in a different way. And then and then advocate for, for that. I think that was that's the single best approach you could have with Trump if you disagree with him, because he he respects people who don't just genuflect for sure. And he looks down on people who do. Um, and I, because he just said he can smell their weakness. Yeah, um, know,
1: I, I think he I think he again he likes it, you know, because they're kind of his gang in the back. So yeah, yeah. The the Boberts and the and the MTGs and and all those people, he likes those people. But I really don't think he respects them. <laughs> like, I yeah, and and I, also, you know, I just don't think he. I, I I and you know what, I feel him on that. I agree with him. yeah. Anybody who was like that for Obama, like. I I don't remember many people being like that for Obama in Congress, but anybody who was like, Obama is my brain, not I, uh, not I agree with Obama and I'm going to vote with him 98% of the times. But if he, you know, for example, we talked about spying, you know, the NSA thing that came out under Obama where the NSA, and, and again, I don't think Obama had any knowledge of that, but I do think, um, you know, NSA was making mistakes and it's on his watch. He's somewhat responsible for that. Um, yes. And and I do think that, you know, I was collecting all this data and started collecting the wrong data. Um, I think calling him and his administration out for that is perfectly okay. Yeah,
0: and spying, sure. spying on the Senate by the CIA, that was totally out of line. And uh, John Brennan should have never done that. And James Clapper lying about spying on American citizens, that should have never happened. And it did. I mean- There there's a lot of examples just kind of as we finish here, you know, I'm thinking of like, you know, Adam Schiff has no right to be grumpy that anybody secured his phone records when he secured the phone records of Devin Nunes by going to AT&T and getting them. I mean, there's like there's just a tremendous amount of phoniness on this issue. I just hope that as we contemplate this, that people will take seriously the amount of power that we invest in government and be reminded from time to time that when your party is not in power. The other party may exploit their advantage to abuse the power we've invested in them. And that is wrong. And we should ham- we should handcuff these agencies from being able to do
1: that. Absolutely. And one last thing, uh, I think, you know, you're right about uh, Adam Schiff with Devin Nunes. But the question is, did he get his children's, uh, you know, phone records? Did he get his wife's phone records? Did he get his family's phone records? That's mm-hmm. what I think makes this whole thing much more egregious. Is that they didn't just go after the targets, yeah, and political enemies, all those kinds of things. Uh, but when you're going after everyone in their circle, you know, right, um, including a minor, I think is troubling. But well. What is,
0: Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just saying one one thing though. We we might have to be concerned about the safety of Adam Schiff's children. So that was probably out of love they were doing that. That's why they, they right. were they I, were just monitoring the communications because they cared about them. They're like, you know what? With Adam Schiff as your father, you can't be too safe.
1: All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll tell you, it's always a great conversation. I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, man. You know what? I, I just want to hammer home one last point, and that is. I love the fact that we don't fear Monday, e- even though the government is monitoring everything you do. Right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> they can see us. They can see this.
1: Yeah. I, hey, Hey, listen, NSA, you know, all you guys, CIA, yeah. FBI, if you mm-hmm. will just have people in the department independently look so we can get more views, I, I will actually be okay with you monitoring this podcast. Go ahead, monitor, intercept, whatever you want. Um, but thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening, for watching. Yeah. You can always like and subscribe and look out for more content from Vincent, Jason, Save the Nation. We're coming at you from the Daily Caller. Uh, and we're trying to bring some balance and some sanity and save the nation as it will. And we love having you as a partner. Thank you so much. Peace out.